Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host, Brian. And before we get into this week's episode, the answer to last week's music trivia question was, of course, Axel Rose. Axel used to earn $8 for smoking cigarettes as part of a UCLA science experiment. Now for this week's music trivia question. Which band was kicked out of their own album release party for starting a food fight? Now, on to this week's episode. I'm joined by Nate and Isaac from Bellwether. After listening to this episode, I think you'll agree with me. Not only are they a great band with some awesome music, the guys are two of the most genuine, nicest people you could ever meet. Now, I'd normally ask you to rate and review the podcast, subscribe on all podcast players, stuff like that. But this week, what I really want you to do is search for Bellwether. Actually, no, the links are down in the description of this episode. Click on those links and follow, subscribe, stream, do whatever you can to support Bellwether. These guys really deserve it. And I mean really deserve it. You'll see what I mean when you hear the episode. So now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. You know my heart isn't in it anymore, I gotta say, but it's not in person, or it's how I always change. I move on to the next as quickly as I can, so I don't get replaced.
You're very welcome to concerts that made us. Hey, we're Bellweather. We're really happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Brian, for having us. Delighted to have you guys. I, uh, I think we're going to have a really interesting episode for the listeners. We hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, actually, I just want to give a shout out to Matthew and Nolan over at Super Cool Radio and every podcast I love is dead. I know you guys appeared on those before. Yeah, we uh, we. We did Nolan's uh, a few months back, and then I guess it's been about a month since we did Super Cool Radio, and uh, those guys both have been really amazing to play our music on their their shows, and they've been a really, really great support system for us, just kind of getting our music out to different audiences in different countries for that matter. Yeah, it was a blast talking to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just always nice to have people supporting you when you're small. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. There's a... There's really not enough people out there really supporting smaller bands, in my opinion, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's hard in the beginning because, you you know, you want to get your music out there and you want to play and and reach as many people as possible because, you you know, you write songs that you really believe in and you want as many people to hear them as possible. And so it's nice when when somebody comes on board and and, uh, kind of broadcasts it for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we opened the show with your song, This Town is a Grave. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Sure. Um, so Nate and I, we went to, well, we met in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of met back up in high school uh, in a small little farm town in Ohio. We uh, we connected over our love for music and skating and just kind of being the odd kids out. And uh, this song is actually kind of about that experience of of growing up and, and playing music and kind of being outcasts. Jeez, are you sure you didn't grow up in my hometown over here? <laughs> Probably a lot of similarities. Yeah, a lot of similarities yeah. all, all over the world, unfortunately. Small little small little towns where it's not cool to be different. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling, all right. So um, we'll get a bit of a sense of your history, your personal histories when it comes to music now. What would you say is your earliest musical memory? Um, I really have been, you know, kind of on the school side of things. I've played music basically my entire life. Um, we went to, a, I went to a small school that my mom taught at and, you know, everybody had to be in choir and, you know, do Advent concerts and stuff for Christmas and, you know, all those things. I'm not a singer at all, but, um, you know, little kids don't sound that great anyway. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and then, you know, went from that to, playing in orchestra and playing in band and jazz band and, you know, all of that on the school side of things. So 
for me, I, it's kind of always been a part of my life. And my dad uh, kind of grew up in that 70s generation where he was listening to a lot of classic rock and, you know, all the all the people that, you know, people are pretty sick of hearing by now because, you know, we've been hearing it for 40 years. But, you know, at the time when you're, you know, when you're a kid and you're listening to Led Zeppelin and, you know, Deep Purple and all those bands for the first time, um, it's it's pretty, you know, you're really impressionable. So music's basically been a part of my life for the whole for the whole time. So earliest music memory for me is like third or fourth grade. So, yeah. Yeah. My dad, uh, my dad is a guitar player. He's always kind of dabbled in acoustic guitar and always had it lying around the house and he never pressured me and you know about doing anything musical really anything he just kind of let me pick it up organically taught me a few chords here and there and this was i say i probably picked up a guitar and started really seriously trying to learn maybe in about middle school um and then I always remember listening to the radio and, you know, back when cassette tapes were a thing and you had to record the songs on the radio that you like, <laughs> which a lot of people probably don't even know that was a real thing. Mm. Uh, but I remember um, on MTV when I was in middle school, Silver Chair Freak came on and I was obsessed. <laughs> like that, that was probably when I was like, yeah. Like I saw Daniel Johns in, in that music. So that was probably when I really started falling in love with music. Yeah. Yeah. You actually, you both kind of touched on something with your father, not forcing you into music. And then with the orchestras in school and concerts for Christmas and everything, the listeners are probably sick of me saying it, but I personally feel like music when it comes to kids and music, I think it's approached from the wrong way. It's like, I feel like when kids are forced into music, it turns more people off than on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I know. Um, I know a lot of kids that, you know, they're, they go to piano lessons and then they go to violin lessons and they do it because they kind of feel like they have to, and they have no passion. And they usually, when they get older, they don't end up almost like a thing that they grew up with and they were forced to do. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And even I've noticed that like the songs that you're made to play, they're not what a kid would be interested in at all. You know, when you're listening to the radio as a child, you're hearing rock songs, pop songs. And when you think of an instrument, you're like, oh, I'm going to be like them but you're not playing that sort of music at all, you know? So it's not very interesting for a child, really. So I really commend people that started as children and stuck with it, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, since I did a lot of music in school and all that, you know, I do have a lot of that, you know, I guess with drumming, it's not necessarily like classical training, like it is with vocal or or piano or whatever, but, you know, I did drum line and the rudiments and, you know, got all that, that baseline stuff that really helped me out. But the things that really kind of got me passionate about playing drums and still, you know, sticking with it at 37 years old are listening to, we had a really great college radio station in our town and it was, uh, you know, they were playing Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Green Day, um, we don't listen to them too much anymore, but 311, um, you know, just like a lot of bands that were really popular kind of in that, like, you know, 96, 97, 98 time period. 
And I would just, I would literally turn on the radio station, put a, put on a pair of headphones and sit behind my drums and just play to whatever song (laughs) came on, regardless of whether I knew it or not. And that was, and then playing with Isaac too, you know, we would get guitar tabs and he would learn, you know, smells like teen spirit or brain stew or whatever it was. And Adam's song by Blink-182, like we would learn those songs. And that was, that training was way more formative than anything that I learned in elementary school, junior high, high school, or college, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It always seems to be when you're just jamming with friends that the music speaks to you, you know, it means you could go through hundreds of hours of formal training, but when you're actually playing with friends, that's when you get the urge to continue on and do more with it, you know? So Mm -hmm. you mentioned what your song, this town is a grave is about, but what were your teenage years? Like, cause I know the typical thing is, you know, there'd be a lot of guys in school that play instruments, you form a band. What was the kind of scene like in your high school? Honestly, for the type of town it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we had we had a handful of punk bands. Um, there's this band, the GC5, that was incredible that we they're, they're just a really cool punk band that we got to play with. Um and yeah, just just a lot of kids that didn't fit in and made music, you know, to kind of be that outlet for them for not fitting in. But for for the type of town it was, I would say the music scene was really fun and it was really cool. Yeah, we had a and we had a lot of really good musicians and yeah. a lot of and I think we talked about this on on Matt's podcast, but like everybody just played together. Yeah. And everybody just everybody played in each other's bands. You know, we would have a show with five or six bands and, you know, there would be probably like five or six shared members between yeah. all the bands <laughs> and everybody would just show up. You know, we'd have shows in barns or at the VFW or, you know, we, we used to play at uh, youth group events at our church. Um, but we just we were all everybody in that town was just really rabid about playing music. And we just really we all just really fell in love with just there's no ego about it. Yeah. There was no, you know, I'm better than you. And we're, you know, there's, there's a bit of competition of like, okay, we're going to be, we're going to get really good at our instruments and we're going to be a really good, you know, collective group. But like, we really, we just had a lot of really good people that really just loved playing music. And, you know, we had this guy, Chad, who we used to play with the guy had been playing guitar for a year and he was playing like yeah, master was, of puppets solos and just oh, like, man. I don't know how, <laughs> Some people just have it. (laughs) Yeah. He he was just so unbelievably talented. And we just had, we had quite a few people like that. And they were the people that were also playing a jazz band and drumline and all these things. So like, we just kind of had, everybody was just, we had nothing else to do. Yeah. We, you know, we played music and we skateboarded and we skateboarded with the people we played music with. And it just like, it was just this community that we all just kind of spent time together, came up together and, and we had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. That actually sounds like heaven. Yeah. In hindsight, it it was, you know, I I do feel like we enjoyed it a lot while we were doing it. But, you know, when there's still a part of you as like an angsty teenager, when you're a loser at school, (laughs) that still sucks. I wish it was popular, but it's so dumb now that I'm older to feel that way. But, you know, when you're a high schooler and you're a loser, it still kind of sucks. But it, it really was I wouldn't have changed it for the world. We had a blast. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you ever notice actually there's a there's always like when there's a community a community like that, there's always like one guy who just disappears, locks himself away in a room for six months and comes back as like Jimi Hendrix or something. <laughs> it always happens. Yeah. yeah. Sell your soul to the devil and just become this like <laughs> god of a musician. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 yeah that that, one, that wasn't me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so after high school and everything, what did you guys do to make your dream a reality to become musicians? Well. So I, like we've already talked about, Isaac and I have known each other for like 25 years. And so we've kind of like, we've, we spent a lot of time growing up together and then we spent a bit of time apart. And then, you know, we came back together. I went to college in Virginia. He went to college in Northern Ohio. And um, I had gotten asked to join a band when I was living in Virginia and uh, called Isaac up and we were like, Hey, we need a bass player. He's a guitarist, but it was like, Hey, do you want to come? you know, try out and play bass for this band. So he came out to Virginia and uh, everybody hit it off. And we ended up playing in that band for about eight years. We moved to Atlanta and uh, we got to do a lot of really cool things in that band. We got to uh, record two EPs, one full length. We did a couple, a couple tours, played with angels and airwaves. Um, uh, Not simple plan, but uh, starting line. It just like some other four years strong, some other bigger bands. And then, um, my wife is a is a PhD student and has kind of gone through the undergrad, grad school, PhD. So we've kind of moved around a lot. And so um, we were apart again for another probably 10 years or so. And then with COVID, my wife and I got uh, displaced and ended up back here. And so now we're back together and playing music again. So we've kind of just had this ebb and flow of you know being apart and being you know far away and then living in the same place and playing music together. So it's... Um, yeah, this last time it was just I got back and times were hard. We were living in my um, my in laws' basement, and I was just like, "Hey, buddy, you want to come over and uh, just play some covers?" And we just you know learned eight or ten songs and started playing. And after we kind of got you know the the cobwebs off, mm-hmm. we started writing music again. And it, it's just we have like sixteen songs now that we've that we've written all told in about you know a year and a half. We only have three out, but we have <laughs> sixteen written. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, we just, we, we always, Isaac and I have played music for a long time. We kind of always come back to each other because we really get yeah. each other on a level that uh, we both play with a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, but there's, there's something that, that he and I have when we're writing music together that we have not been able to cultivate with anybody else. And so um, for us, it's just, it's always choosing to do the music for the right reasons. That's mm-hmm. how we've made anything a reality with yeah. this. It's interesting that, you know, in a time when the whole world closed down, that you guys found each other again and found something good in all the bad. You know what I mean? That you started yeah. making music. Yeah, it was uh, like Nate kind of touched on. It was a really it was a really rough couple of years. Um, you know, things still aren't great, you know, thing, but they're at least hopefully turning. Hmm better um but yeah nate we always kept in touch uh and nate was about to open a restaurant and it closed so like he said he had to move here and um i was going through some crap at work um some rough stuff at work and and yeah we just we got together started doing covers and 
I've always just written songs on my acoustic guitar. I, I try to constantly play my acoustic and um, we just kind of started writing some music and I, this, this band single-handedly, I think saved both of our lives these past couple of years. Like, I don't know what we would have done if we weren't able to kind of reconnect and play music. And that's what we've always said since we started bellwether. Like if nobody hears us, we're, we're doing this for us and we're doing this as our escape and we're having fun with it. And until we stop having fun with it, let's just keep doing it. But the fact that people can hear our songs makes it even better. So it, it's music has been an absolute blessing. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like there now at the moment? Is it starting to get back to normal? Are the restrictions on music and everything lifted? Atlanta, definitely. Georgia is... <laughs> Georgia's definitely back to normal, I would yeah. say. Like people, you know, we our first our first few shows, they they do like the vaccine, you know, or negative test. Our last show, they didn't do that. Um, you know, I think they still are doing it at all the big shows. Uh, but it's it's I would say it's pretty much back to normal. Like it, it feels it feels like it's going in the right direction and a ton of good shows are coming through. So so bands seem to be all back on tour and music's flowing again. So it's, it's good to see. Yeah, it kind of just depends where you go. It depends yeah, what the venue is. For sure. In Georgia, they basically are leaving it up to, the, you know, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a music venue, they're kind of just letting that that entity decide what restrictions they're going to enforce or not enforce. So yeah, it's some venues are still kind of cracking down a little bit, but it seems like a lot of the smaller venues are just kind of back to just kind of doing what they did beforehand. So don't know if that's a good thing, but that's kind of where it's at. (laughs) Well, at least you're getting to play gigs, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. As a band that kind of came out of the pandemic formed in that time, was it easy to get booked? it's been yeah it's been odd question for me (laughs) yeah so it's been a little odd and um the band we played in before um we had another band member was kind of in charge of like getting all the shows and all that stuff and so this was kind of our slash my first foray and uh you know kind of like cold contacting people and just kind of trying to sell yourself and saying hey you know (laughs) this is our first show can we play you know at your venue and so we we got one breakthrough in September at um, at this venue here, which uh, we had played before, but it had been a long time. Um, called Smith's Old Bar, and it's it's a really great spot. Um, they have two they have two rooms. They have a, an upstairs which holds I think like 200, 300 people, and then they have a room downstairs that's like maybe seventy five or hundred. So it's a smaller room, but good sound. And it's just it's kind of it's kind of one of those storied venues in in atlanta that everybody loves and everybody knows about and so that ended up being our first show which was super cool yeah. um and we ended up playing with this band called the ottoman turks and they were kind of this i'm going to call them avant-garde country yeah like, like avant-garde like, like texas country, country. Yeah. They um awesome. they were great yeah, they, they were, were a lot of fun they were such nice guys and my god could they play guitar yeah um but um, the guy who booked us was like, I don't know if you guys sound anything like this band, but uh, do you guys want to play? And we, I think, so we found out two weeks before that we were going to play and it's 
Bellwether is technically just a duo, but we hadn't really even thought about playing live really. Um, and so my wife is a really good musician. And so we were like, Amy had bought a bass during the pandemic and was just kind of learning it quietly. And we were like, Hey, so do you want to play with us in two weeks? <laughs> no, it was a week. That yeah, one was a yeah, week at that oh, point. Yeah, it was a week. We asked yeah. my wife to play. So she ended up learning all of our songs, which was like six or seven songs, but learning them in a week, practicing with us and then playing a show. And it ended up being, it ended up being a blast. Um, but yeah, so it's, and then as for the rest of the shows, you know, Again, it's just kind of cold emailing and just kind of hoping that people will, you know, email you back or see your email. Um, so locally, we played four shows. We just played our fourth show on Thursday. And, um, you know, we've been trying to kind of branch out in kind of the southeastern region, whether it's, you know, Tennessee, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama. But it's been difficult to get people to write us back. Um, so it's just it's kind of it's been difficult to get a few shows, but having said that we've really only been like officially a band since July and we've played four shows. So on the one hand, it's, it's been kind of difficult to get there, but we've also played more shows than we thought we would have, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just kind of like a, the venues have been great and we've really enjoyed the people that we've worked with and we hope that it, it will continue. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a little difficult to kind of get into certain venues in Atlanta. Yeah. A thing I've noticed, I feel like since the pandemic is a lot of venues seem to only kind of want to book well-established bands, which I, I totally get because they've been losing money for two years. Hmm. So I think that has changed a lot of things. Getting on smaller local shows is pretty non-existent anymore. It seems like, and yeah, these venues want, every show to be packed out, which, you know, in a perfect world, everyone does, even the bands do, but it's, it's really hard for us being so new. Um, and like Nate said, it's, it's just been tough, but we've had some really fun shows. Mm, yeah. Hopefully we'll just keep growing it. Yeah. And for any of the listeners that haven't got the chance to see you, what can people expect at one of your shows? Um, this was actually a really good question. And it was kind of, you know, when you're so, you've only played four shows, you know, we're still very much in that. Um, we're very much still, even though we've played together for a long time, this entity of, of bellwether is still so new. And as most people know, when you play in a band, I mean, Dave Grohl said it best. He's just like, just get on the road and play fucking shows. Like that is, that's what you do to become a really good band. Like the way you become a really good band is playing, you know, 200 shows a year. However, life happens. We have, you know, extremely busy lives. And when you're looking at the reality, you're like, uh, we would love to do that, but can we really not sure. Um, but so as it is evolving, we just, I think what people can expect at our shows is that there's going to be three people on stage who are so grateful for the opportunity to be there and so grateful for that gift of music and being able to play for one or a hundred people or however many people have graciously decided to be there um, that we are going to get up on stage and we're not going to play perfect. We wish we would, but we're all human beings and, you know, we're going to get up there and we're going to give it our absolute all. 
and play authentic music that that we write ourselves, record ourselves, produce ourselves, and put out ourselves. And like just we want people to find it really authentic and really organic, you know, because we're this is all us. You know, yeah. this is we are literally writing and working on everything from inception to where everybody's hearing it live. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's just like, we just want people to, to really get that we love music and that when we show up to a venue, we always talk about it before we get there. Like we want to be the most hospitable band, meaning like when we show up, we want to be nice to every single person we come in contact with. We want, we want to remember the sound guy's name. We want to remember all the other bands names. We want to thank them. A lot of times what we'll do, especially if a band's on the road, uh, if we get paid, even if it's 50 bucks, we give it to the band who's on tour because they could use it more than we can because we're just traveling from our house. But like, we just want, we want people to just feel that we love music and that we love the people that were there and we're just grateful to be there. So that's what we talk about. And that's what we want to do when we're going to a show. Um, and it's literal conversations that we have. Yeah all the time regardless of whether we're playing or not yeah i just feel so fortunate to be able to do it and i want people to feel that you know i want to i want people to be like you know they really are doing this because they love doing this not because it's a job um and i mean at this point if if this is a job we're in the wrong <laughs> we're in the wrong <laughs> profession because we're we're paying for it right now we're not we're not making money doing it but like I mean, we both said like we we put money into this for the rest of our lives. Like it, it's just so fun, and we're so fortunate to even be able to play in front of people. Period. Mm, yeah, yeah, that really comes across. I like both the answers there, but um, I find it really really brave to say it's not going to be perfect. You know, a lot of bands will bullshit and say, "Oh, it's going to be the best thing ever. There won't be one mistake." But personally, I feel. It's the imperfections that make a concert great. You know, you don't want to go to a gig and it be the exact same as you just threw a record on or listened on Spotify. You know, you need them little imperfections and the banter with the band and stuff like that. It's what makes the entire gig for the audience, I feel anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, it's one, it, you know, when you go see your favorite band, you know, you want it to be really great. You know, I, I really, there's this band out of, uh, um, Missouri, I think, uh, yeah, St. Louis, um, called motion city soundtrack. I've listened, listened to them for a long time. And I remember I finally got to go see them at this. This might be confusing. I don't mean it to be, there's an old masquerade and there's a new masquerade in Atlanta. Right. The old masquerade was this, black and purple old mill that looked haunted Super it looked sketchy. like looked like it was going to fall down <laughs> on north avenue in atlanta you would go to shows and they have three rooms at the at the venue purgatory hell and heaven so purgatory there's a lot of like you know a lot of like 80 or like um like goth punk and like goth bands that play in there hell was like do cool. like burlesque shows in there and stuff. yeah <laughs> super cool place and then like hell was kind of the you know the the smaller bands like 400 cap venue and upstairs was for a lot of the you know medium-sized bands it was like 2,000 people i think but when you would go up there when people would jump or you know whatever you could literally feel the floor yeah. moving right. and so <laughs> 
on the one hand, you're like, this is a cool experience. And on the other hand, you're like, I'm going to die. Maybe. Um, Is this going to be the show? The fall, the floor falls through. I don't know. Anyways, but they tore that down and now they have a new masquerade and it's still heaven, hell and purgatory, but it's a lot nicer and it's, you know, a lot more solid. Um, But, uh, but so I went and saw motion city soundtrack at the old masquerade and they sounded so good. Like every single thing was perfect until there was one song that uh, the singer started and he like messed up the guitar. He's like, Oh, sorry guys. I messed up. And I, you know, I need to start again. And I just remember thinking, Oh, thank God he's human. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know? And I was like, yeah, they messed up. And he just started the song over. The world didn't end, you know, <laughs> and it actually made me like them a little bit more. Cause it's music needs to be an expression of the human being who is performing it, you know? And yeah, there's people that go to the Berkeley School of Music or, you know, all these really fantastic places. Like I've seen Dream Theater on three different occasions. You go see them play and it's going to be perfect. You understand that. But like, that's not, you just have to have a good understanding of of who you are as a band and what you're trying to present, yeah. you know? And so we just, we've been playing music for a long time and, you know, we're going to get better every time we play, but like, it's not, I think and I'm a chef in my normal life. And even in that, even in that world, there's perfectionism. There's all these things that people are striving for. But like, if the goal, the goal is perfection, like you're a never going to achieve it. So you're always going to be disappointed and be like, that's not the point. The point of food is to feed people. And the, the point of food is to like bring people around a table and have them really, you know, enjoy that time and really make it memorable. And music is a time to bring people around songs or a band or a show or whatever and really give a memorable impact to people and bring people together and like perfectionism in my opinion kind of like is kind of counterintuitive to all of that Mm. and and talking about like the hospitality end of what we're trying to do like perfectionism and like being a-holes because you didn't you know play perfect like goes counterintuitive to being hospitable to people because then you're just unpleasant to be around you know yeah so like we just it doesn't have to be perfect and it shouldn't be perfect, you know, and that shouldn't be the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. I totally get that. It's about giving people the experience, you know, it's more than just music. It's more than just a night out. You want to give them an experience that will be a memory for it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you can use all the gigs you've ever played for, uh, the next couple of questions but what <laughs> would you say has been the best experience you've ever had at a gig so um like nate said we've only had four shows uh but this past tuesday we played with a band called tiger cub hmm. they were fantastic and they're from england they're yeah, from they're from I think the, they're from brighton i think yeah they're from oh. brighton um and is their first time to America. They're touring with Clutch and oh, uh, this band, I Hate God, I think, or something. Yeah, something, yeah. something crazy <laughs> it's like, metal. It's like <laughs> I Hate God, but I E Y E. I don't know. Right. But uh, they were amazing. I would say that was probably the bright spot of, of our shows. Um, just Just getting to see them. Like one of my favorite things as a musician actually is sound check. Like we right. get to be in a room that's empty and see these bands sound check. It's just such a cool thing to get to do. Yeah, actually. Jeez, yeah. That, that nearly be enough of a reason to be a musician just to yeah, get to see that. <laughs> Obviously you have uh, 
times where it's not that fun to be in soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's those times too. <laughs> yeah, they were Tiger Cub was fantastic. They were such nice guys too, and they and you know we're my my wife plays bass with us live, like I said, and so we're a three piece band, and so sometimes you know a lot of bands. A lot of bands that we that we like and we go see live are you know four and five people, and so sometimes when you go see a band that has more people and they have more sound and they have more amps and you know all these things and it's louder and seemingly a bigger sound. Sometimes you go, man, like if we had maybe if we grabbed one more person to just like play guitar with us, maybe it would sound a little bit better and a little bit more full and all these things. Um, but watching those guys play. Like those three guys, like the sound that they produced yeah, was just it's unreal, huge. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was kind of like, they kind of took us to school. Like they were yeah. super nice, but like they definitely kind of took us to school yeah. of like, oh, so this is what's actually possible for three people to do on stage. And it really kind of sent us, sent us to do our homework and, you know, kind of said, all right, so how we're here. How do we get there? Yeah, like after yeah. the show, we were like <laughs> looking at amps and pedals and stuff. We're like, how do we sound better than we do? Because that was like my it was mind blowing. Yeah, because we really like we some people took videos of our show and stuff and they've sent them over and things like for especially four shows in, like yeah. we are really happy with the trajectory that we're on and how things are sounding. But you know, when you they I think they we talked to them and I think they had said they'd been playing for I think 10 years mm-hmm. together or something like that. And, you know, if you, I don't know how many shows they played a year, but I mean, 10 years is a long time. And so it's a long time to figure things out and to dial things in. And, and so, you know, we can't, we can't beat ourselves up too much, you know, after four shows and say, why can't we sound like a band that's been doing this for 10 years? (laughs) However, you know, it's, it's something to strive for and something to go, all right, like now we can see what's possible. Now, how do we get there? Yeah. 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 That's actually really good. And it's, uh, it's always, no matter what you're doing, it's good to surround yourself with people like that, that force you to improve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll flip it around. Is there a gig that you would say has been the worst experience? Uh, luckily as far as ones we've played, um, you know, nothing, nothing catastrophic has happened. Right. You know, I'll forget, I'll forget lyrics here and there and just kind of <laughs> do like the watermelon, watermelon thing. <laughs> I just make up lyrics because I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> what am I saying? I don't know. It's it's just funny being, being in front of people and it's a totally different feeling. It, it's, you know, you're running on adre- adrenaline, but you're also, you've got these nerves. So even songs you could play in your sleep, they just almost become new when you're, yeah. <laughs> when you're live. So I would, I would just say for me personally, it's just forgetting lyrics and just kind of having to fudge my way through a few lines, but luckily nothing catastrophic like that has, has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we didn't really, we haven't really had any necessarily like bad experiences. We had a show that got canceled the night before, that um, which, you know, that was unfortunate, but we ended up, uh, we ended up playing that venue twice after that. And so, um, and we're still working with that venue to this day and they're, they're really great people. Um, But I think for me, the, the second show we played at that venue, um, I decide a lot of times when you're playing with multiple Mm -hmm. bands and there's not that much room, 
you'll backline. And so like drum, drummers will use each other's drums. Mm-hmm. And so usually I'm the first one to volunteer and say, all right, everybody can use my drums. So then I'm comfortable. It sounds selfish, <laughs> but it makes a world of difference. Um, but I wasn't uh, fast enough on the email trigger on that one. And the other band was like, oh, y'all can use my drums. So I was like, oh, it's fine. I can you know do whatever. Um, so we have this song called Gods that we wrote uh, a few weeks back. And it, the end is like really heavy. And uh, I ended up knocking my cymbal stand over and like knocking over the, mi- the drums on the mic and slashing my knuckle on my right. cymbal. So then not only am I trying to like finish this song out while the drum set is kind of like falling apart while I'm using somebody else's drums, but now I'm also bleeding on somebody else's drums. And I was sort of rock and roll. Yeah. Pretty (laughs) sort of a nightmare at the same time. Um, So yeah, that was like (laughs) out of our illustrious four shows. That was my, uh, that was my, uh, my big blunder that uh, we watched the video of and I'm just like, Good grief, what happened? <laughs> so, how did you explain it to the owner of the drums afterwards? That's what I want. Um, I I was just like, hey man, sorry, I think I probably got some blood on your kid. And I <laughs> I went I went and grabbed a, uh some like gaff tape from the stage hand and I literally just like wrapped my <laughs> finger up um and played the the last like three or four songs and tried not to bleed anymore <laughs> no that's so, the part that's rock and roll yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say yeah it, i'm not putting myself in any way shape or form on the caliber of but it's like you know flee from the red hot chili peppers used to like you know wear holes in his finger because he was playing bass so hard or like stevie ray vaughn would super glue his calluses back on his finger so he could continue to play guitar and blues clubs like i'm not that badass but like you know I did have an injury and I did keep going. So I guess, I guess that's my very small addition to rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so this one is a bit off the cuff now, but what's your creative process? Like when it comes to writing music, you know, how do you guys find your inspiration? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, So most of the songs I write, you know, lyrically, are just very real life things that I either struggle with or that I've gone through. Um, I very rarely write songs about, cause I, I know a lot of bands write kind of stories that aren't really about them. They're just kind of stories and hypothetical things. I, my brain doesn't work that way very well so most of the things i write i'm either currently going through or i've gone through in the past um and we've touched a bit on life being so busy now my writing process now is so much different than it used to be i have about 20 minutes at night when i'm giving my daughter a bath like i have a i have a four almost five year old and i sit on the bathtub while she's like you know, playing with her toys and I have an acoustic guitar and I just mess around. And if something I think sticks, I bring it to Nate and I play through it. He'll be like, and he'll, he'll be like, yep, nope. And he adds his Nate touch, which only Nate can do. He gives (laughs) me, you know, I think this song should go this direction. I think it should go that direction. Um, But that, that's, pretty much how all of our songs have started. Sometimes I'll come with 
come to him literally with just an intro and we do the whole song together. Sometimes I'll just have a good night and write a whole song and he'll, you know, give me his two cents on, I think we should change this. I think we should shorten this. Um, but yeah, that's for, for bellwether with our current lives, that's kind of been the writing process and it's, it's been working pretty well. It's honestly, I always complain that I don't have more time, but I, I also wonder if I had more time, if these songs would come on the way they do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel, I love asking people who write songs that way, this question, do you ever feel apprehensive about putting so much of yourself in a song and putting it out there? Or do you approach it as kind of almost like therapy? It's therapy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, there have been a couple things where I'm like, Ugh, like, especially with my wife, like the song fever sweats is about lust. And I'm like, like, is she gonna, like, what's she <laughs> going to think about this? Like, you know, it, it's just because I, I do write about things I struggle with, you know, about things I'm going through. So I do sometimes get nervous, like, is my wife going to think this is about her? Is she going to think, you know, <laughs> all these things? But but no, it's I'm glad you said therapy because every song that we've written has felt like therapy to me. And it 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 needed to come off my chest. And I'm not I'm not a great communicator, so I can't really express my feelings a lot of different ways and my emotions other than music. So 100 percent, I feel like writing is therapy yeah yeah well i'm delighted that you you have that process you know to help you deal with stuff so what was the point where you felt like i'm not going to give up on this i want to keep going for us like so my wife and i both play music and it's both my wife was the person who you know started piano lessons at you know three and four and you know was a classically trained pianist classically trained vocalist did all that but still sticks with it she's kind of like the anomaly in that where she still loves music and you know still it's still such a huge part of her life and a part of our life um we still go to shows we still go to metal shows together and it's been we've been together for 15 years and it's literally the first Amy I's first date, we went out with Isaac and some friends and we went to an open mic night. So it's literally been for us, music has been a part of our, our lives since literally day one. Um, and for me, and I know for Isaac, like music is just, it is a absolute essential component to life. Like whether it's listening to music, playing music, whatever writing music whatever it is it has to be a part of life it is it is an unavoidable part for me and i know it is for isaac too and it's been it has been that constant thing for me and for us since we were kids and it's it's something that uh you know i had at a certain point i had to find something that i could make money at and feed myself and feed my family and all that. And I, you know, I cook for a living and I'm, I do have passion for that. But like the one thing for me that has always been there and will never go away is playing music. It is the, it is an unavoidable thing. And it will not until if I'm on this earth until I'm 90, 
I will still be bashing drums and going to shows and and just experiencing music in any way I possibly can. Yeah. 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 And like, I mean, you know, music, the, the thought of not doing it just doesn't even occur to me. Like, you know, we didn't, we didn't really have this like definitive moment where like, okay, we're on the right track. You know, we, we're not on a label. We didn't have that. Like we got signed. So we're clearly doing the right thing or, you know, we're on this, crazy sold out tour so we've never really had especially as bellwether we haven't had that definitive moment where we're like we're clearly doing the right thing but just the just the fact that it got us through so much crap these past two years like life isn't going to get any easier life isn't easy so i know more bad stuff is going to happen and will continue to happen so you know, not playing music just isn't even an option at this point because it just it helps get through so much BS. Yeah. yeah. And for us, it's not like we said earlier, like for us, whether it's just for us, yeah, just to like be, you know, be in the room together and create something that wasn't there 10 minutes ago, like which is just kind of a miracle process in general yeah. and such a rewarding thing by itself. I think I said this on Matt, uh, Matthew's podcast, but like for us, like the moment this, the moment that just playing together and playing music and writing music together and, and just being able to have the gift of this, when that stops being enough, then there's no reason for us to continue. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not something for us to like take over the world. If that happens, fantastic but at the same time like being able to play music with isaac and have my wife play with us live like it is such an amazing gift to be able to have and like for us to be able to do it it's just amazing yeah we're getting everything we want out of the band just being able to write together so like everything else is an absolute bonus yeah so we just we keep going because we just we absolutely love doing this and there's we can't we can't not do this. Like it's, that's, what's not an option for us. Like it's, it's something that has to be a part of our lives because it is, it's, it's a part of who we are. And it's a part of what we do, you know, yeah. it's like oxygen. It's yeah, that important. yeah. So before we move on to the last couple of questions, what are the future plans for Bellwether? So we are working, well, we, we have an EP um ready basically to record as far as we know we're we're trying to narrow down the songs um and get we'll probably do six try to do six of our our best songs available and come out with an ep um so i i would say that's that's kind of our nearest future we have a couple songs that we'll probably release as singles before then Mm. just because at this point the thought of recording and releasing an EP is probably going to be a a couple to a few months away. Um, So I would say releasing the EP and just playing as many shows as we can is, is what we're, what we're doing in the immediate future. Yeah. We're just trying to get as many opportunities as possible. So doing podcasts, putting out, you know, putting out singles, we we're doing a cover of uh, where did you sleep last night Mm -hmm. by, 
I I should know who originally did it, but I lead, just know that lead belly. Lead belly, yeah. So lead belly originally did it, and then Nirvana kind of most famously did it on you know MTV Unplugged. Um, but we're doing we're gonna do a cover and a video of that. We're just kind of trying to get schedules aligned and get the recording done before we can go record the video. We have a location, we have all these things, but yeah, for us right now, it's it's more about um, EP is kind of like big picture of where we want to be. Um, but like in the near future, we're just, again, we're just reaching out to as many people to play as many shows as we are lucky enough to play. And then, you know, releasing songs and just kind of keeping, keeping interest out there and just kind of keeping, keeping things going to where, you know, we have content out and we, you know, kind of the whole social media game as it were, but, um, just making sure that we still have things that people can engage in on a day-to-day basis and just, Hopefully, I think we're up to like 550 followers on Spotify and, you know, we're trying to get listeners up. You're just kind of those like incremental things yeah. that um, that we can kind of grow and just kind of get get bigger and get more of an audience and get more reach. So, um, you know, like Isaac said, schedules in, in life uh, kind of get in the way sometimes, but we're really trying to like just kind of push through the distraction of that and just try to work hard to kind of to make this dream a reality, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With people's attention spans so short nowadays, do you find it hard to keep people engaged? Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, I don't, I don't know much about TikTok, but we're trying to, we're trying to get in that world a little bit. Um, so we're trying to do, you know, we're trying to come out with songs. We're trying to come out with videos. You pretty much constantly need to show up in people's feeds to stay relevant or they'll literally, like you literally get forgotten overnight. It's just so easy to be forgotten with the mass amount of just everything that's constantly in your face. Yeah. And we're just trying to also kind of behind the scenes, yeah. whether it's at shows or um, just the band we used to play in, we, we had a lot of really great connections with a lot of bigger bands. And, you know, we're trying to like, we're trying to get back into those worlds and trying to like, you know, come alongside other bands and trying to work with bands. Uh, there's a really great band out of Boston right now called mission to sleep. Um, you should check them out. They're really fantastic, but like trying to work with them of like, you know, trying to, like, hey, do you guys want to go old school and like do a split EP? Yeah. Or, you know, a guy came to our show at Boggs uh, who plays in kind of like a As Cities Burn kind of like post rock band who really liked us. And we're, you know, trying to talk with him to get a local show going to where it's like, you know, like minded bands can can come together and, and put on a show kind of like how we all used to, yeah. where it's just like there might be 20 people there. But, you know, let's be punk rock about it. Let's, you know, let's just start this thing in a basement and just like grow it to as big, as big as we can, you know, but like just trying again, like we don't, not that we don't want to be associated with bands who are, you know, just doing it for a job or just doing it because it makes money. But like, we want to be surrounded with people who are doing it for the reasons that we're doing it, yeah. you know? And so um, we're just kind of behind the scenes, just trying to like reach out to those bands that we really like and, you know, tag bands, like we've been doing playlists mm -hmm. and just finding bands that are small, just like us and putting them on that playlist 
and maybe 20 people hear it, but we tag them in it. And then the people that listen to us can go listen to them. And, you know, you kind of build this, this, this community where, you know, social media is one of those things that is kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. But like one of the, one of the benefits of it is that you can, like I talked about, we always talk about distro kit, like the fact that you can put your music online for free is an insane opportunity, you know? And so to be able to get on uh, Spotify and look where your music is being streamed, you know, it's like Dubai, Ireland, India, you know, all these places we're sitting here in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, recording in this literal bedroom right here. And somebody in India is listening to your music. It's kind of an insane concept, you know? So it's one of those really, really big benefits of this community. And if you can kind of reach out to those bands that are also trying to do what you're trying to do, who are just trying to like get a little bit further along in the journey, you know, it's just, we, you know, we just want to come up in a community of bands that like can get back to that, like really, really authentic music scene where people are just showing up because like again it's oxygen it's what you do there's no other option but to play this music and that's why you're there not because of spotify plays or you know whatever it is you're there because this is the only thing that is the rational thing for you to do is to show up and play this music i've i've said it before like the music industry would be a much better place if bands like I know the labels are very cutthroat, but bands that are on the same level weren't as cutthroat and competitive with each other. Like obviously sure. you want to be better, but if every band could get it into their heads, build a community and raise each other up as they rise up, you know, it'd be much better. Yeah, it's sad because Nate and I talk about this all the time. When when we go away from a show and a band was nice, we're actually surprised. <laughs> Like, it's sad if we play with people that are super nice and, you know, really encouraging it, it's, it's surprising. And, and that's, that's just so sad to me. Yeah. We always try to be that band. Yeah. We try to be that band because I know the other side of it, like, especially when you're new and people are just rude. It's just, I don't know. It's just such a bad vibe and music should just be so happy and uplifting that. Yeah, I, I agree. I wish more people treated it like a community because it really should be and it really is. Yeah, yeah. Well hopefully, hopefully someday that that starts to happen. But um we'll move on to the last couple of questions. I'm afraid everybody gets these. You can't get off the podcast to the <laughs> answer. So uh we'll get cracking on with them. If there was a an artist or performer from history you could see in concert for one night only, who would it be? Mine is Queen, like no doubt. Really? Uh, Freddie Mercury is just, he's unlike anybody. I just, he had, he had everything. I mean, he just was a God given talent. And I would love to see Queen with Freddie Mercury doing his thing. And Brian May's guitar tone. Are you kidding me? Crazy. (laughs) Uh, I would say Prince, uh, just because he was just kind of like, uh, I mean this in the greatest way possible. Like he was just like a freak of nature. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) there, I can't care. (laughs) I can't think of anybody who wrote more songs, like just in general than that man. Hmm. And just like, 
he's not my favorite musical artist of all time by a long shot, but like just the breadth of his catalog and the things that he was able to do. And I mean, I've, I've watched videos of him playing and just like the amount of musical talent that that one person had was the equivalent of like 45 people. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's, that's my answer to that one. Cause that guy, just like a few people in the last few years left the world far, 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 far too early. Similar to Freddie Mercury as well. Just left the world far too early. And Brian, I'm sorry. I know we're not supposed to ask you questions, but I just want to know who's yours. <laughs> I always hate when I get asked because it always. <laughs> so, <I'm sorry. laughs> no, you skip it. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. no, no. I, uh, I'll be, I'll be fair. It kind of it tends to flip flop, but the one I find myself coming back to most is probably the Doors. Oh yeah, yeah. I've. When I was a teenager, I got obsessed with Jim Morrison and the Doors. And do you remember back in like the early 2000s, the rest of the band reformed? Yeah. And started touring. I actually had physical tickets to go see them when they came to Ireland and I couldn't make it. So I feel like I really missed out. So if I could actually. It still wouldn't be the same. That's like Queen Queen did the same thing. But I'm like, dude, it's not Freddie Mercury. Like. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be fine. It would be cool, but it's not the same. Yeah, I suppose it'd be just like going to see a tribute act, really. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I had I had the opportunity twice to go see the Smashing Pumpkins in the original form, oh, uh, in the original lineup, uh, and I had to miss both shows. That's one of my biggest musical regrets. Oh yeah, I don't blame you. They're on my <laughs> list. That I'd love to see. Yeah, uh, even even nowadays without the original lineup, I'd still just as long as it has Billy Corgan there singing. Yeah, you know? I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. So if you could be locked in a room for 24 hours with any artist or performer from history, who would it be? Mine is uh, I feel like especially for a drummer, especially in especially from like the era that we grew up in, I, this is probably an answer for almost a lot of or almost everybody that's a really terrible sentence i just said (laughs) (laughs) um mine would be dave Grohl because he's he's been my musical hero for a long time as a drummer and just as a uh i feel like he has been such a advocate for again the human Mm -hmm. element of music and really just like getting back to what music is and should be. And also, as we've kind of talked about on a few different points, he's also that person that finds those small bands and will wear their t-shirt in a video. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the song, but uh, he wore a t-shirt from the band, the sounds in uh, um, all the video with like the TVs falling. I can't remember. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm no help. It's okay. Um, or like, you know, I, I know Royal Blood was a band that he found and, you know, kind of like was really talking about them a lot. And there's, a, I mean, there's a bunch of bands and we, my wife and I went and saw them at uh, Fenway Stadium in Boston and on their tour, they had local band, like bigger local bands come and open for them at their yeah. shows. So like I saw Dinosaur Jr. open up for Foo Fighters in Boston for, you know, 40,000 people, you know? So like for me, He's the guy that I'm like, this guy, you know, when you look at the stratosphere of like what you want to do as a band, 
or like where you would want to be. He's that person for me. And Hmm. for him to be, have the perspective of like, I'm going to bring some little people up with me. is just super cool in my opinion. So he's just kind of, he's been my musical hero for a long, long time. Yeah. This might shock you, but I want to say that's the first time he's been brought up. He's been mentioned as the person in the room. He might have been mentioned on an early episode. I'm not entirely sure, but it's probably the first time. But I'm shocked at that as well, because I wouldn't mind spending 24 hours with Dave Grohl. Like he is a modern day legend of music, you know. He's played with anybody and everybody that you would ever want to play with in your entire life. Yeah. And he seems like such a nice guy and down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. I would say mine would be Jack White. Uh, right. I've liked pretty much everything he's done from the White Stripes to Dead Weather and the Raconteurs and just being Jack White. Um, I don't know if you saw a documentary called, uh, I think it's called This Might Get Loud. It Might Get Loud. It Might Get Loud. But it was him, Jimmy Page, and The Edge. Mm. And it starts, the opening scene is him like kicking this porch and playing this guitar he made. And it, it, just the way his mind works, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's incredible. And I would just love to, I would just have him play guitar for 24 straight hours and just, <laughs> just watch him and see how his mind works. Yeah, yeah. He's another really interesting character, actually. One of those people that you just, as you said, you'd love to pick his mind. Yeah, if you haven't watched that documentary, by the way, it it's came fantastic. out a long time ago, but um, it was made by the same guy that did, uh, the director that did The Inconvenient Truth and uh, The Dark Knight, which is, you know, the Batman film. But like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, it's super cool. They just, they found a warehouse and it's literally Jimmy Page, The Edge, and and uh, Jack White all talking about music. And it kind of goes and kind of chronicles all three bands mm. and these three guitarists kind of journey to where they were. It's probably one of the most important yeah, very musical documentaries that's come out yeah. in a long time. When you said the name, actually, it didn't ring a bell. But when you said Jack White, Jimmy Page and The Edge, it does sound familiar. I might have seen a bit of it or seen clips of her something but i'll definitely have to look up the full thing anyway that's fantastic if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life what would it be so i couldn't i whenever i get asked these questions my mind kind of goes blank so i had my (laughs) (laughs) so i had my wife uh help me out a little bit um she came up with two and i think that they're really both really good answers to the question so i'm gonna go with two i don't know if that's allowed but um (laughs) uh one would be uh the best of you by foo fighters um because that's just uh you know that that song kind of it by design has kind of like this dichotomy to it to where it's like is somebody getting the better of you or somebody getting the best of you and it kind of has this like and i'm a really nice guy in my real life and so sometimes i feel like you know some people are taking advantage of me you know so there's a lot of times where you know that song reads one way to me and there's sometimes that song reads another way to me um and full transparency when we saw them at fenway park i definitely cried when they played that song because it was such a beautiful thing um and then the other one would be uh survive by rise against right Uh, right it's 
it's just a fantastic, like I literally listened to it this afternoon before I was going to give it as my answer. And I still get goosebumps from it. And it's just this kind of like, you know, when life is hard, just kind of like this really empowering, just like fist in the air type of song that just like gets you back on the horse. You know what I mean? So those yeah. are kind of like my, my two, my, my two songs. Mine would, I'm, I'm the same as Nate. If, if people ask me these questions, I'm just like, uh, what do I like? I don't even know who I like. <laughs> but, uh, mine would have to be, okay, I believe you, but my Tommy gun don't buy brand new. Uh, Deja on Tondu to me, like in high school, it blew my mind. And it really was the album where I was like, I want to I want to do music a hundred percent after listening to brand new and his lyrics seemed new and different than what anyone else was singing about. He's saying about like teen angst and just all this real stuff. And you could tell he really meant it. So I would have to say that song. Some solid choices there. I like him. I like him. I actually, um, I've seen Foo Fighters myself as well. And I think the song that, brought a bit of a tear, an unexpected tear to my eye was, uh, you know, the song Wheels. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it just, as soon as it played, it was just the atmosphere and everything. Yeah. But, uh, three, three solid choices. So to give the listeners a sense of you as people, what do you like to do when you're not doing music? For me, I hang out with my wife, Amy, and we've got a, eight-year-old uh, Australian shepherd mix named Enzo Ferrari that uh, he's a, he's a very sweet boy. And we, you know, take him to the park and, you know, we go, go to shows and Amy and I play music together too. And, you know, we have four beautiful nieces that live here in Atlanta. And, you know, for, for me, it's when I'm not either at work or playing music, like family is it, you know, family is the most important thing. So for me, you know, if I'm not doing, if I'm not doing music or, you know, working a 60 hour week in the kitchen, I'm, I'm just hanging out at home. It's my favorite place to be. So. Yeah. So this is the one where me and Nate have the same answer. Uh, I have a four, almost five-year-old daughter uh, named Jojo and I have a wife. So when, I mean, life is so busy and Nate and I try to make time for music and I have a full-time job as well. So when I'm not working, when we're not doing music, it's, it's being at home with my family. Um, it's changed a bit over the past two years, but I love traveling. It's made it kind of complicated. Now my wife and I love going new places and, you know, trying new foods and seeing new cultures. So outside of family, I would say like, experiencing new cultures and traveling would be our uh, my 100 percent like favorite thing to do yeah yeah now if you had have picked that question to swing back on me i actually would have gave the same answer as you guys once i'm not in work or doing the podcast i'm spending time with family i think it's the most important thing 100 percent. yeah you know when you regardless of whether it's music or like a regular job like the only reason why you show up and do something to make money or otherwise like this to support the people that you love, yeah. you know? And yeah. for me, it's like, there's, there's no reason to get through it if there's not something to, to do it for, yeah, you know, to enjoy it yeah. with somebody to enjoy it with. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. So the final one 
is there something I should have asked you guys? So this question was really hard because I had no idea where the conversations would go, <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to like have one thing in my mind. And then we ended up talking about it. But uh, mine would be, where did you come up with the band name Bellwether? And I'll actually let Nate answer that because I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So for us, like we're both, like I said, we're both from Ohio. Well, Isaac was born in Guatemala and lived in Guatemala till, well, like 13, till he was yeah. 13. And so that's why his family came back in fourth grade, which is how we first met. And then when they came back permanently in eighth grade was when, you know, we kind of like all of this kind of started, I guess. But um, so we spent most of the time in our history in Ohio. And so when we were kind of, thinking about a band name, you know, there's a lot of terrible band names in history, mm. you know, <laughs> most notably one that I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast that the, my person I was spending in a room for 24 hours with has also said is like one of the worst band names in history, yeah. <laughs> famously quoted saying that. Um, however, um, we just, we wanted to come up with something that one looked good on t-shirts and it was something that could be memorable. Um, for me, I think one syllable band names are pretty, pretty easy to remember, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, but when we were kind of just thinking about it, I, I literally opened the Wikipedia page for Ohio and just kind of started reading about the history of where we both mostly, I definitely all the way grew up there. Isaac mostly grew up there. Um, and just kind of started reading about the history of Ohio and what terms and things like that were associated with Ohio. And so one thing that came up pretty quickly was that Ohio was a bellwether state. And so what that kind of term means and kind of the, the association with it is a political association. And so basically what it means is that in American elections, wherever Ohio goes, usually that's a determinant of where the like presidential election is going to go because there's so much weight within Ohio because it's such a, a large state. Hmm. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole a little bit. And where that term comes from is back in the sheep herding days, if there was a sheep that was kind of the leader of the group, they will put a bell on that sheep so that all the other sheep would follow that. Ah, yeah. So it was like the leader of the group and kind of, again, with a political association, kind of letting people know where things are going. Hmm. So when I thought about a band and music and things of that nature, I was like, that's kind of a pretty cool concept of like, okay, so could we be the bellwether of the music, music industry to where we're getting back to that, again, that human, authentic, organic, self-produced, self-made, you know, starting in a basement with two people, growing it to however big it will go, band again, kind of like where things used to be. And so that kind of was kind of really stuck with me. And that kind of idea and that concept kind of stuck with me. Um, another contender for the band name was Station Hope, uh, because uh, Cleveland, which is an hour north of where we grew up, um, a nickname for that city is Station Hope. And it was the northernmost uh, stop on the Underground Railroad. 
So people who were fleeing the South uh, and fleeing slavery, uh, Cleveland was known as Station Hope to where if they got there, they had hope of existence. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so that was also a really cool concept for us. Um, And so we kind of went with both, as it were, like Bellwether is the band name. But anything that we do is Station Hope Records or state like this is our music studio. Essentially, it's my spare bedroom, but it's our music (laughs) studio. (laughs) Um, So, you know, anything that we put out is Station Hope Studios or Station Hope Records. Hmm. And so we're also trying to even while we're small and while we're still getting going, we want to kind of put some things in place that if things do grow and things do get bigger to where we could hopefully do this as a viable income to where we could maybe make station hope records an actual thing or station hope studios an actual entity that we can do for a living and bring bands in and and again if we are lucky enough to be anybody of consequence in the music scene that we can find smaller bands and be like hey you guys want to be on station hope records. Here's what we can do for you. And here's how we can grow you. And here's how we can bring you up just like somebody else did for us, you know? So for us, it's kind of like partly right now thinking and partly future thinking of, of, okay, so this is where we are now, but if we're lucky enough and the stars align and, you know, do all these things, like we can put some things in place that we can, again, help people out and and really kind of like solidify some things for us. So that's the long story of where Bellwether came from and kind of what we're trying to do, I guess.
Why, hello there. I'm about to make a prediction. And that prediction is, you like podcasts. If that's true, then make your way over to the Cognitive Discourse, where we have monologues, short stories, and open discussions. And every now and then I get a little ranty. If this sounds like something you're interested in, then go check us out. We're streaming on all major platforms, and hell, we're even on YouTube. New episodes out every Friday. I hope to see you there. <laughs> hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I for one surely did. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Your five-star review will be read out on the show. And don't forget, you can now rate us on Spotify. You can find and follow us on all social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And don't forget to check out the website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. So until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.